Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, June 6, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing uh, from the studio back at ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut. As Sarah Abbott, I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. And Sarah, we got to apologize for not doing a podcast on Monday. We had planned, you know, baggage claim Monday. We're going to be talking with Tim Kirkton. We're going to be talking with Sarah Langs. But the X factor in the baggage claim Monday is always are the planes on time. And so when I got to LAX yesterday morning, the delay was two hours. Uh, the the p- pilots apparently had been overscheduled. And I was really bummed because we had a lot of good stuff to talk about over the from over the weekend. Yeah, baggage claim Mondays are always my favorite, just in general. I think it's so funny to watch you in the airport and then hear the announcements go over the speaker. And I can just feel when somebody walks by, I can just feel the energy. And it's just so funny. So, yes, sincerest apologies. I don't know how, but somehow we can say this was on Taylor. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Because he's not here, we can blame him for everything. And notice, like, his timeline and Twitter timeline, it just feels like he's just sending out pictures of alcohol, like, every time, which tell you how his trip is going, right? Yeah, he is living his best life. Happy for him. But, yes, we are blaming the planes on Taylor. Get that clear. Very nice. For for clarity's sake, uh, we're doing the podcast today. We're going to do another one on Wednesday and then another one on Friday. we got some great guests lined up for those two shows. Today... We are going to hear from Sarah Langs about her weekend of being in the spotlight. And she doesn't know this, but we're going to give her some numbers about the impact she's making in ALS funding. Before we get to all that, let's talk about uh, some of the games, some of the news and notes from Monday. Astros face the Blue Jays. And the big question going into this game, how was Alec Manoa going to do? Of course, the 2022 All-Star who's been struggling so badly of late. Well, you know what? It went really badly in the top of the first inning. Astros left fielder with the bases loaded. Pitch on the way, and Jokes belts it deep to left field, and you can't kiss that one goodbye! A grand slam for Corey Jokes, and the Astros have jumped out to a 6-0 lead! That from KBME, 7.90 a.m. So yeah, Alec Manoa did not make it out of the first inning. Final score there, 11-4. Hot ticket, is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. The Reds faced the Brewers. Andrew Abbott made his major league debut for Cincinnati, and he was tremendous. Six scoreless innings, and he was backed by his catcher, Tyler Stevenson. And Stevenson skies one high in the air. It's deep right. Anderson back at the wall. Leaps. It's gone. An opposite field home run for Tyler Stevenson. His third home run of the year. And it's 2-0 Reds. That sound from 700 WLW. Nick Kroll, the head of baseball operations for the Reds, is scheduled to be on with us on Wednesday's podcast. We'll talk with him about the seeming, seemingly looming promotion of Ellie De La Cruz who I think right now is the best prospect in baseball. Albert Pujols was named special assistant to Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. He's also going to work on the MLB Network. I'm sure he's going to be terrific. Uh, His knowledge of baseball is incredible. His former team, the St. Louis Cardinals, faced the Texas Rangers uh, on uh, Monday night. Here was the sound in the bottom of the ninth inning. 
Low, the fourth batter Cabrera has faced. Here's the pitch. It's hit on the left side and through. A base hit into left field. Simeon around third. Here's the throw from Donovan. It's offline. Simeon scores. And the Rangers walk off the Cardinals in the opening game of this series. The final score, 4-3. to three. Rangers are bouncing between first and second. And it is a happy house in Arlington. That from 105.3, the fan, Adam Wainwright, was blunt after the game talking about the Cardinals' struggles. Fitting in perfectly with this team right now. Just everyone's frustrated. I was frustrated out there on the mound and just not executing like I wanted to. And, and, um, and I tried to add a little something to it. I just missed location big time. And, uh, you know, every time I try to add... It just, I, I lose balls up, you know, thigh across the middle. So um, just dialed back a little bit and started trying to pitch. But um, everyone's frustrated. I don't know what to say. You know, everyone's, um, fans are frustrated too. I know. Meat is frustrated. We're frustrated. You know, um, we're looking forward to playing consistent baseball. You know, we're looking forward to it. Now, the news wasn't all good for the Texas Rangers. Earlier in the day, they moved Jacob DeGrom to the 60-day injured list. More testing is planned for him. So the Rangers are having this incredible season, and they really haven't gotten that much help from the guy who was the biggest acquisition the offseason, Jacob deGrom. The Pirates face the Athletics. The A's had a lead in this game, which seems to be breaking news in itself, but the Pirates would come back. Bottom of the eighth inning, Andrew McCutcheon at the plate with a runner at third. 3-1, hit high and deep to right. Noda back onto the track. He'll make the catch. Plenty deep enough to score Bay. Andrew McCutcheon with a sack fly. And Kutch puts the Pirates ahead 5-4 to four here in the eighth. That sound from Sports Radio 93.7, the fan. The Padres, the Cubs. Padres maybe turning it around a little bit. And Gary Sanchez went deep again. Manny at first, one out. No score in the second inning. And Sanchez lines one to deep left. Haps back. He watches. Going to go. Two-run homer, Gary Sanchez. Already is third as a Padre. And a couple of pitches after David Ross is ejected. Sanchez goes deep. And the Padres jump out two to nothing. That from 93.7, the fan. The Padres win this game five to nothing. Blake Snell threw well. The ones who get it done is brought to you by Granger with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger has the right product for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You know who's getting it done on Monday night? How about Trey Turner, who hit his second homer of the game in the bottom of the fifth inning? With an RBI single in the first, the home run in the third, the pitch. Swung on, crushed, way back to left field. Oh, wow, where will this land? Second deck in left for Trey Turner. That was Scott Fransky, Sports Radio 94 WIP. After the game, Trey Turner spoke with Tom McCarthy and John Kruk. Trey, congratulations on a heck of a night. Uh, guys aren't lurking just yet. They're in the dugout. They're coming. Yeah, they are. Hey, listen, uh, that last at-bat, when you scorched that liner, I thought was a great indication on how how well you're swinging at these last couple of days. Yeah, um, you know, I just feel a little bit more confident. Uh, I don't feel like there's 20 people out there. Um, <laughs> you know, I felt like the last week or so, you know, even my good at-bats feel like I'm hitting right at people, so it was nice to, you know, get that one in the in the first inning, kind of sneak through, and then uh, keep that momentum. Give me an idea of, of 
that of that first inning just to get that run in the first inning? Yeah, big. I think uh, you know playing um, you know with the lead early is, is a good momentum uh, you know for our pitching staff and for for our offense just kind of keep that thing rolling. So uh, big run in that first, and I feel like you know the bats were good all day by everybody. You know just keep that pressure on them, and uh, I felt like we always had guys on base. Yeah, the offense was was special tonight, Trey. But tell us what it was like tonight playing behind Aaron Nola. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, me and Sos didn't know he had no hitter until like the fifth, sixth inning. We looked up and we were like, oh, snap. So, um, you know, that's what he does, though. He just goes about his business. He's quiet and and uh, he gets the job done. He was he was special. Tonight. You know, Trey, I don't want to look too far into it, but when you hit a ball, hit two balls like you did tonight for home runs and have that kind of power, what does that tell you about your swing? Yeah, no, it's synced up. And, uh, you know, I think. Um, like you said, even just in the last of that, hitting that line drive, I think is nice. You know, obviously the homers are good, but just that consistency. I've talked about that a lot this year and haven't been very consistent. But, um, you know, to put those five bats together and uh, have a consistent swings, whether it's an out or a hit or whatever it may be, I think, uh, you know, is, is good confidence for me and something to build on. Trey, the, the first hit you got, you, I mean, you, you hit it good, but you didn't hit it like you did the other yeah. three. But what is that like seeing that ball go through when you're running the first thing and, all right, now we got a chance to have a really great day? Yeah, I've been talking to, you know, Kevin. I felt like yesterday, you know, I hit two balls pretty hard right at people. And I'm just like, man, I can't I can't get lucky. I can't swing and bun. I can't bloop someone in there. I can't, you know, I can't find a hole. But sure enough, I, you know, I run my mouth and then, you know, that, <laughs> one's, that one sneaks through. So uh, just, in, just in time, you know, I feel like you complain about it. But um, this game's humbling. It's hard. And, and you just got to keep going. And some sad news from the other day, Roger Craig, who was a World Series fixture as a pitcher and a manager, uh, he was the manager of the San Francisco Giants during the 1989 World Series that was interrupted by a massive earthquake. Uh, He passed away. He was 93 years old. Sarah, what else you got? All right, Buster. So a little peek behind the curtain tonight. I am recording with SVP and Sanford Steve for a new episode of SV Pod. And I'm sure they're going to be previewing game three of the NBA finals. So be sure to check that out tomorrow, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. 
dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On baseball tonight. Tim Kirkson covers baseball for ESPN. Tim, how you doing? I'm well, Buster. How's it going? I'm doing great. I'm sorry to miss you on Baggage Claim Monday. We had a lot to uh, talk about yesterday, but we can get to some of that. Aaron Judge's catch, uh, the condition of his foot. I want to talk to you about Bobby Miller, who was ridiculous the other day. It's the first time I've seen him in person. But let's start with Alec Manoa, who situation, his situation right now with the Toronto Blue Jays, I think is something worth keeping an eye on. Uh, you know, Tim, I do radio in, in Toronto every week, and the producer of the show there sent me a note uh, last night, this morning, basically asking about uh, precedent for a situation like this, where a guy goes from being a Cy Young finalist, one of the best pitchers in baseball, to the next year, he's absolutely terrible. And I must say, like, I was racking my brain, uh, and I came up with Mark Fridrich, you know, back in the mid-70s, and he was someone who was affected by injury. Rick Ann Keel, you know, who, as you know, it's not really a good comp because he had the yips. You know, Roy Halladay was the closest thing, Tim, that I came to, um, you know, where he was pretty good. He wasn't at an all-star, you know, Cy Young caliber, uh, but then he had struggles. He was sent out of the minor leagues, and he was brought back up. This is astonishing, to seeing what to see what's going on with Alec Manoa, he doesn't even make it out of the first inning last night. And, and boy, if you're the Blue Jays today, you are having some hard conversations about what you're going to do next. Right. And when they say like anything's on the table with Alec Manoa, th- that implies at least we might have to send him down to get himself fixed and to be a top three Cy Young contender last year, and then go to the minor leagues. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but in June of the following year, it's not unprecedented, but it's highly, highly unusual. And Buster, what we know about him last year was he was a strike-throwing machine, and he has been anything but that. And when a guy loses his command and his understanding of the strike zone, that's almost as bad as just losing velocity, losing stuff, which he's also lost. He's given up 11 runs now in the first inning this year, including a grand slam last night. He gave up nine runs in the first inning all last year. He doesn't look anything like the guy who pitched last year. And I'm not sure what it is, but they'd better get fixed quickly. Otherwise, the the Blue Jays in now a very competitive American League they're not going to make the playoffs if he doesn't turn this around and help their pitching staff. What jumps to mind as precedent for you? Well, I hadn't thought about the precedent, but this is, again, really unusual. You know, Mark Fidrich was hurt that there was something there. And, you know, as far as completely healthy guys, I mean – I'm not going to put Sandy Alcantara in there, but Alcantara in there, but he's having a terrible year too. And so are a bunch of other guys who are finalists. Dylan Cease has struggled until recently. Corbin Burns has struggled. I mean, how how do you explain this? This is the beauty of the game, but I'm going to have to look for a better comp because I'm sure there's somebody out there who was great one year and terrible the next, 
We're going to give Manoa a little more time to figure this out, but boy, what a what a precipitous drop this has been. And you know that the Blue Jays, an organization steeped in analytics, they're looking at these numbers today. Hard hit rate against Manoa in 2022 is 31.5%. Tim, it's up to 43% this year. That is a that is an incredible climb. Exit velocity against them. It's up from 87 to 89 miles per hour. Barrel percentage, the number of uh, percentage of times that a hitter, you know, puts a sweet part of the bat on the ball. That's gone from 3.7% to 6%. Like that, that's a crazy jump, 60%. Uh, his velocity, as you mentioned, is down like 93.9 to 92.8. And his horizontal movement on his slider, which is a pitch that separates him, is down uh, significantly, almost two inches. So those are all the metrics. And if you're the Blue Jays today, as I mentioned, you're having conversations about what you're going to do next. I think one positive sign, Tim, and you've been around a lot of players who've dealt with a lot of adversity. The fact that he came out to the game and was waiting for reporters and seemed to completely own what's going on, I think that's a good sign. Like that may have been rock bottom last night. Because I've seen players who, you know, will have success and then they had a bad night and they disappear, especially when you're talking about a guy who got knocked out after one inning, which means he had to sit for three hours and wait for, you know, the reporters to come in and talk to. He totally owned it. That's a good sign. I do think even though the Blue Jays lack AAA depth in their rotation, they need to send him down to the minor leagues if for nothing else to give him a break, a mental break. Yeah, again, Buster, I covered his playoff start last year against the Mariners. I did that game on TV, and he was not sharp at all in that game either. He, he couldn't command anything, and he got hit hard, and it's been the same thing this year. Now, he's a great kid, Buster. We all know that. He's yeah. a big teddy bear guy. He's a former first baseman. He wears a, a player's, you know, a position player's number. He acts like a position player. And that's what we've loved about him. And I'm not surprised at all. He owned the whole thing because that's what he does. Remember, he came out of nowhere. He, in 2020, during the, the whole uh, COVID thing, he and his brother just said, we got to get better. And and in their driveway, he built a pitcher's mound in his driveway, basically, and worked on different things during COVID. I mean, that's the kind of kid that he is. I got to get better. How am I going to do that? Well, he needs to go back to the laboratory now and figure out what's wrong because uh, those numbers are staggering. I know earlier in the year, Steve Stone, the analyst, uh, I think on White Sox games, mentioned that he was heavy and he's out of shape. And and Alec Manoa sort of pushed back and said he's body shaming. And I remember reading that exchange thing. Steve Stone wasn't body shaming. He was giving a pure analysis of where he is. And, and look, I got to believe that that's part of the message from the Blue Jays. You're big and you can need to get less big. It's going to give you a better chance to repeat your mechanics which when you look at the command rate and what's going on there, Tim, I think that's got to be part of the conversation too. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I go back though to CC Sabathia, you covered Buster. You, we've been around him a long time. He, he lost a lot of weight, didn't pitch very well. And he whispered to me, he said, I'm much bigger when I'm, I'm much better when I'm bigger, but that doesn't work for everyone. And if you're not in the best shape, you have to get in better shape. We'll see if that's the case with Manoa. Um, but he needs to get this figured out quickly. Yeah. And as I mentioned, you know, the concern for the Blue Jays is they don't have a lot of options in the minor leagues, but, but that shouldn't be the priority. The priority should be 
you got to figure out a way to get Alec Manoa right. Uh, Aaron Judge on Saturday, Tim, he made that incredible catch against the Dodgers. And I must say, and I was talking with some players about this on Sunday, uh, there are a lot of times, you know, a player will make a catch and you'll say, well, he kind of made that look harder than it actually was. In Judge's case, I think he made it look about 10 times uh, easier than it actually was. The degree of difficulty on that catch was ridiculous. Buster, he ran through a fence to catch a baseball. That fence is supposed to be latched. You're not supposed to be able to run through it. Then again, not many right fielders, no right fielder in baseball history has ever been 6'7", 282 pounds, and that kind of athlete. And to keep his concentration and hold on to that after running through a fence. I remember when Rodney McRae, that guy, ran through a, a, a wooden fence in the minor leagues many, many years ago. Oh, my gosh, it was one of the greatest things ever. This was different than that, but it was an incredible catch. And let's hope, let's hope he's not hurt badly from that because that would be obviously a terrible blow for the Yankees. So I would not be surprised if we hear later today that he's got some sort of a fracture in his foot, in his big toe, uh, there were just a lot of signs of that on Sunday. Uh, I mean, first off, he came out of the lineup. He was really sore. You and I saw the play as he was closing on the right field fence. You know, he, his upper body crashed through the fence, but his foot hit that uh, that concrete, six inches of concrete at the bottom, and just stopped. And, you know, and I asked Aaron Boone before the game, during the game, is he available? Uh, he wouldn't answer the question. I think it was pretty clear from Judge uh, coming out in a sweatshirt and Sitting in the front row, he was not available. Uh, and when I asked Booney, uh, is it possible that uh, he's going to go on the injured list? Booney said, I don't know. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of a lot of things they're not saying. And boy, it would be a crushing blow for them to have Judge go right on the injured list with a, a foot injury. Yeah, like uh, like Sergeant Hulka, he is definitely the big toe on that team. And they we saw earlier this year they're a completely different team when he's not in the lineup. When he came back, they took off because he's the best player of the team and maybe the best player other than Otani in the game right now. So let's and you start messing with a big guy's feet like that, it's just really very unfortunate for the Yankees. I think that's the first time I've ever heard you make a movie reference. I mean, I've known you for 30 years. You just made a movie reference. What's that about? I Buster, I'm way better on movies than you think I am. I make I make fun of myself for a living because I stink at everything, especially music. But I do know a lot about movies that I really like. And Stripes is one of the great movies of all time. Or the American Army were 10 and 1. Please. I know every line from it. <laughs> All right, so that was on Saturday when Judge made that catch. On Sunday, this was the sound of Bobby Miller pitching against the Yankees. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. And another strikeout. That's seven for Bobby Miller, who has been razor sharp so far. So, Tim, I, I you know, watching that game on Sunday, my thought was this guy is six foot five. His first pitch in the big leagues was a hundred miles per hour. His average fastball velocity is 99 miles per hour. This is going to be one of the, the 10 most dominant pitchers in baseball over the next four, five, six years. I mean, he was incredible watching him. And, and, you know, I did a post-game interview with Giancarlo Stanton. We had to wait for the sports center people to, uh, to throw it to us. And I said to Stanton, I'm like, how about Bobby Miller? 
And Stanton just shook his head. <laughs> it was just like smile, like, wow. Like his stuff was ridiculous, Tim. Yeah, Buster, I saw him throw a bullpen this spring in Arizona. And you can get really close to those bullpens sometimes. You can hear it. You can feel it when you're that close. And it's the first time I'd ever seen him throw. And I went, whoa, what is this? And now he's taking it into big league games. And he's thrown 100 miles an hour with secondary stuff. And it's coming at a perfect time for the Dodgers, who, as we know, their entire Pitching staff is banged up right now. They are not the same staff that they starting staff that they were this time last year. And boy, do they need a boost. And he has provided it. So I think that uh, they're going to always be stories about the 2020 draft, uh, which was unusual because the pandemic was going on. There really had been uh, not been much baseball for anybody to see before all sports were shut down. Bobby Miller, and I think the Dodgers would acknowledge this, they were lucky to get him that year. What happened, I talked to Dan McDonald, his his coach at the University of Louisville the other day, and he mentioned that that season, you know, Bobby was someone who pitches with a lot of motion, and he he, uh, was dealing with that and, and trying to get that under control. He's trying to use the secondary stuff, get his sequencing down. He had a couple of outings at the beginning of the, the 2020 season. He didn't necessarily pitch great. And then in the last outing before the pandemic, he threw a one-hitter. He was totally dominant. And so what uh, Dan said to me the other day was, look, if we had had a full season, there's no way he gets the number 29, which is where the Dodgers picked in the first round. And from what I understand, uh, you know, the conversation in the Dodgers uh, you know, uh, draft room I guess it would be a Zoom call with everything going on that year was like they didn't think that he would fall to them. And when he landed at number 29, they were so excited. Marty Lamb is the the scout who was responsible for them taking Will Smith, and he was the guy behind them taking Bobby Miller. So the Dodgers, not only are they good at developing players, you also got to get a little lucky. And again, Buster, just another reminder, the era that we're in right now, it's – Every year, if not three, four times a year, someone comes up and you look at him and you go, wow, you know, whether it's a position player who's so big and so fast or a young pitcher that we really never seen before. He's throwing 100 miles an hour and he's built this big. Um, Again, this is where we are in baseball. It's just stunning to me how athletic, how big, strong, fast our players are. And Bobby Miller fits right in with that group. He's someone who's got uh, said to me over the weekend, Walker Bueller type confidence too. Like he assumes when he goes out of the mound that he's going to kick your rear end. Is Shane McClanahan of the Tampa Bay Rays him the best pitcher in baseball? Um, he might be. You know, he was great last year. He was on his way to winning the Cy Young, and then Justin Verlander overtook him at the end. But now he's what nine and one with an ERA just over two. He, th- he throws in the upper 90s with tremendous secondary stuff. Um, he, over the last two years, I'm not sure there's been anybody better than him with what he has topped last year with this year. And uh, I love watching him throw. I don't know how anyone ever gets a hit off of that stuff, throwing that hard. I mean, Buster, <laughs> when I first started covering, we had one left-handed pitcher or two maybe who could throw – in the low 90s, this guy is a young lefty who throws in the upper 90s with all sorts of other stuff. He's so, so good. Yeah, I remember when the Padres drafted Dustin Hermanson, a right-hander, 
Uh, but they drafted him when I covered him back in the early 90s. And they were so excited because they his fastball velocity was 94, 95. <laughs> you know, now that you know people will shrug their shoulders in college programs if you throw a 94 95 let alone in the big leagues uh i, I wanted to ask you about Luisa rice uh, after yesterday's game his batting average tim is up to 399 look it's the marlins we're not going to necessarily pay a lot of attention to him down the stretch has he got a legitimate shot to hit 400 uh, I'm going to say he's not going to hit 400, but he is completely different than almost every other hitter in the game. Buster, he has 83 hits and 11 strikeouts in wow. this era where we're trying to put the ball in play more often and we're doing the best we can. The strikeout rate is still historically high. And basically for every strikeout, he gets eight hits. Think about that for a second. That doesn't happen anymore. I remember talking to Byron Buxton about him last year when they were teammates with the twins. And Buxton said, Arise comes in and he says, I'm going to get two hits today. He says, the first at bat, I'm going to hit a double to right center field. Third at bat, I'm going to hit a line drive to left field. And Buxton looks at me and, they, and he says, and then he goes out and does a, does exactly what he told us he was going to do. And in this era, Buster, where we no longer value the hit, where it doesn't matter anymore if you win a batting title, which saddens me to no end, this guy just keeps getting hits. And I, I found it odd. I did a Twins game the other day. They lead the major leagues, their hitters, in strikeouts. And I was whispering to one of their guys, did you not learn anything from Luis Rise that he knows how to put bat to ball better than anyone? All right, I'm saying he's not going to hit 400. But look at his career average since the day he got to the big leagues. It's like 10 points higher than anybody else during that time period. And every, he's already got, he's the only Marlin ever to hit for the cycle. And he's the only Marlin ever to go five for five with five RBIs in a game. And he's done this in his first three months. And the team's been around since 94. It's amazing. The Marlins are five games over 500. According to fan this morning, their chances for making the postseason are 43.3%. Skip Schumacher, first-year manager, he's done a good job. And, and, you know, you mentioned this is all without Sandy Alcantara, the, the reigning National League Cy Young Award winner, actually pitching very well. I would say this, Tim, if the Marlins uh, sort of drift back to what we expected, a team below 500, Luis Arise to me, we always talk about how at midseason, relievers have more value in midseason than they do during the offseason. You know, teams will pay more for relievers. I think if I'm the Marlins and I'm out of the race, I'm putting that guy in the trade market because in the offseason, I think team, people look at Luis Arise and their feeling is, you know what, that guy doesn't hit home runs. We're not going to pay a lot for him. Uh, in the middle of a season, contenders thinking about adding that guy to the middle of their lineup for the stretch drive for the postseason, I think they would pay higher midseason than they would during the offseason. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course it does. I mean, look at the postseason, how the postseason works. Yes. People strike out all the time in the postseason when you need a knock. It's just not there enough. The same rules apply. We strike out too much. The Yankees can't score enough runs against the Astros because they can't put it in play. Nobody puts it in play better than this guy. And that's why he's having such an amazing season.
Yeah, the uh, the common denominator for teams that have done well in the postseason uh, over the last 10 years are basically teams that don't strike out a lot. Uh, translate this statement from Cardinals veteran Adam Wainwright. He told reporters yesterday when they asked him about what the Cardinals need, uh, Tim, he said, quote, more urgency wouldn't hurt. That jumped out at me. What about you? Oh, of course. And especially when it's Adam Wainwright saying that because nobody has a better view of things than him, given how smart he is, given how long he's been around and how long he has been with the Cardinals. That suggests we're not playing hard enough. And there should be an urgency there because I worry that the Cardinals say, well, we're in the weakest division in the world and uh, we're just going to get hot. Well, they've already been hot once and now they've lost four games in a row, the last three by one run. That's that's unacceptable for a team of this magnitude. And I think it it's good that Adam Wainwright would call out his own teammates and say, we got to try harder. We have to, we have to get a greater sense of urgency because to still be 10 games under 500 at this point is unacceptable for the Cardinals. I, you know, it's interesting too, because when you think about the Cardinals, think of Nolan Arenado who uh, plays with a, a real fire. You think about Paul Goldschmidt, such a steady veteran, and I'm trying to figure out exactly who he's talking about, or maybe it's just a collective mindset that he, he senses in the players. Yeah, I don't think he's talking about anyone in particular. I think he's just saying we can't just assume that the Pirates and the Brewers are going to completely go away and that, you know, even though the Reds are much better here, that the Reds are going to go away. I think he's trying to tell everyone we better not think we can just get hot when we want to because – that hasn't worked very well this year. All right. Uh, Sarah Langs was diagnosed with ALS at about the same time that your brother Matt was diagnosed with ALS. And as you know, over the weekend, Sarah was everywhere. Like Sarah, you know, was at City Field and her boyfriend, Matt Williams, threw out the first pitch and she had that beaming smile. Uh, she was on our air on Sunday Night Baseball. Teams are making donations in her name. You've known Sarah forever. What was it like for you to watch that? Well, it was wonderful because I'll never forget, Buster. We had one of those, you know, ESPN, you know, meetings in February talking about baseball. And this this tiny little girl who looked like she was 12 came up to me. It was Sarah, of course. I'd never met her. And she said, I'm Sarah Langs. I love baseball. And I want to work on baseball tonight someday and i hope that i will and a couple of years later she's the lead researcher on baseball tonight and as i've told you many times buster she can find a stat faster than anyone but more important she understands what a great statistic is some others just find all this this arbitrary stuff that doesn't mean anything she has such a good feel for the sport and to see her recognized this weekend was just the most heartwarming thing. And my brother, I was in Philadelphia last night for the Phillies and the Tigers uh, for their ALS night because they were on the road on June the 2nd. And it was tremendous, just the the outpouring of, uh, you know, love for people who have this wretched disease and to have all of this happen to Sarah was just one of the best things. And you, by the way, did a tremendous job on that piece on her that ran on TV. Really good job, Buster. Well, thank you. Uh, 
I think it's a tribute to you that the conversation about Sarah's love for baseball always comes down to uh, who loves baseball more, Tim Kirchin or Sarah Langs. And Tim, I'm sorry, but over the weekend, I ran you down. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like Tim, Tim's love of baseball is extraordinary. But I've had times during the winter, I'll reach out to Sarah and I'll be like, hey, uh, you know, do you have a moment to look this up? And she's like, I'm watching winter ball right now. And I'm like, you know what? That That is a separator for me every day. She's watching winter ball. She's watching KBO. She's watching whatever's out there. And I'm like, I, I've never known anyone like that. Well, I'm going to give you another movie reference, Buster. She is Kevin Costner in Field of Dreams, sitting in his living room, looking out at the snow, waiting for it to stop so the players can come back and the field opens. That's who Sarah Langs is. She's looking out of her window there in Connecticut, wondering when's it going to get warm again? When's baseball going to start? Thanks, Tim. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash buster just go to indeed.com slash buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash buster terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed juliana sabra is the co-head of amazing mets foundation and community engagement and of course and she uh, had a hand in, in Sarah Langs's appearance at City Field the other day. Juliana, tell me what that was like from your perspective. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Um, it was it was wonderful. I mean, Sarah and her family are truly amazing, and she's so humble and so smart. Just talking with her um, and her all her baseball knowledge, um, it was just it was truly amazing. And I think. You know, we gave her, we did the first pitch where her boyfriend threw, we gave her a Lou Gehrig day bat, all the, all the things, right, that you would do before a game. But I thought um, the best thing was just seeing her reaction and feeling all the love from the baseball family. As you know, it's a very tight family, no matter what team you're on. If something happens to one of our own, we want to make sure that we're giving back and we're showing support. And so that's what we wanted to do. Um, for Sarah. And I think um, it was just a really nice evening for her to feel 
the love and be able to share her story in the way that she wants it to be told and what she wants people to do um, for ALS and the research. So I was not in the building. I've seen the replays of it. And of course, Sarah laughing out loud when Matt threw the first pitch, uh, you know, high in it to the left. Uh, I'm curious, what was the reaction the building to her? Um, you know, so we had a rain delay um, that day. So I was like, of course, you know, I was with her. Mrs. Cohen um, donated tickets to her suite. So she hosted the family in her suite. Um, and so we wanted to do a nice moment for her. And we were watching the weather. Um, and of course, they were calm and collected. They were like, we're grateful for anything. But I was, um, you know, worried. I wanted to make sure we did this honor. So we did the Trek presentation actually in the suite, which um, to me, I, you could feel the building. Everyone was, you know, it was raining, but that's the only thing that was playing. I got goosebumps right now just thinking about it because you could just feel everyone's eyes were on the screen and clapping for her multiple times. We stopped and let the applause happen. Um, and when we were giving the check to Project ALS in her honor. Um, so that was that was really spectacular. You could just feel that everyone was behind her and wanted to do anything they could to, you know, make her feel supported um, and anyone struggling with ALS. And so um, that was amazing. And so then we were waiting for the game to play. What was going to happen? When is it going to start? And I said to Matt, I said, do you still want to throw the pitch? Um, and he said, she's going to make, I'm going to throw it. I'm like, all right, you're going. So we, we went down to the field and, um, he, he had some practice throws before, so I thought he did great. Um, but yes, yeah, she, she was laughing. She was enjoying all of it. Um, but I thought, you know, one of the nicest moments, too, was when I asked her if she wanted to put together a sentence or two um, so I could introduce him, you know, in the script for the first pitch. And uh, it was she said, you know, he's Superman and um, he represents all those that are taking care of their loved ones with ALS. And she said, you know, um, thank you for always making me laugh. Thank you for always being there for me and for flying back from the NBA finals that he did that morning to be there for her. So it just kind of shows that, you know, their family is there for her, but the baseball family is, too. You guys gave a great donation, $10,000. What were your thoughts behind that as you, your decision, the, behind that decision? So so I've been uh, with the Mets for a long time. I've been with 10 years, and we've always supported Project ALS. They do great work um, for research um, on the cure for ALS. And so we knew that we want to support them. And the fact that Sarah was working together with them, it was a no-brainer. Um, and actually, earlier in the year, we were uh, I attended the baseball writers dinner with Stephen Alex Cohen. And so I said to them after I said, we have to have we're having her out for Lou Gehrig Day and I want to double the the donation. Um, we should we should double the donation that we did last year It was five thousand. And that was, of course, the president of our foundation, Alex Cohen, wanted to do that. Um, and so that was kind of the thought behind it, just to show our support. But I think just hearing her speak at the baseball writers dinner you know, just wanted, made us want even more to have her out and to give a donation um, to help with research and to show her that we're behind her. Juliana, it was great. Uh, thank you so much. And, and and thanks for joining us to tell us about it. Yeah. one And one thing I would add is that um, just kind of shows Sarah's character and her knowledge of the baseball world. So we were, we were done with the first pitch and to get back up, we went in the elevator. Um, but, you know, the, the game had already had already started and um, George Springer had uh, had his leadoff home run and she was already new without anything. All this was for her. Right. The, everything. The game was for her. And she knew right away. She's like, I need to get to my phone. It was his 54th leadoff. I'm like, how do you know? Like just right away. She knew that in the elevator between <laughs> 10 minutes of time. 
So I was like, wow, she's incredible. And uh, we're just happy to have her out and give her the recognition she deserves. Yeah. Well, you guys did a great job. This is The Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing on this Tuesday? I'm doing well. I'm about halfway through all the texts in my phone. Haven't even touched my personal email. My work email is a mess. I'm, I'm recovering, but so, so grateful and just overwhelmed from everything. Yeah, it was really, uh, it was really cool. Uh, watching that over the weekend, and, and as we continue, we'll we'll see some more. You bring us numbers a couple times every week, so I got some numbers for you. I'm going to throw at you, okay? I, I dig some digging yesterday, some investigative reporting, uh, and I reached out to to try to get these numbers about your financial impact. Uh, you know, in terms of raising awareness, uh, Manny Bell uh, sent me a direct message, said that when she ran that race, uh, the half marathon, back during the winter time. That raised one hundred and five thousand uh, dollars. Rob Friedman, the pitching ninja, texted me or sent me a direct message yesterday, saying said that last week he sent the first check from the T-shirt sales uh, from you know, baseball's the best T-shirts. The first check was fifty seven thousand one hundred ninety three dollars, with an expectation that they just got a big spike. Sarah, oh my gosh! Uh, we just heard from the Mets executives, Juliana, telling us, of course, about the ten thousand dollars the Mets uh, donation. The Diamondbacks $25,000 donation. Mike Teven of Major League Baseball ran to enter detail. He said the ongoing online auction, the autograph bat collection that you help shape because you pick out the players who sign these bats. The auction numbers are on track to top the contributions from the last two years. Proceeds of that will go to the expanded access protocol program. It's uh, Sean M. Healy and AMG. Center for ALS at Mass General. And of course, a lot of individual donations are being made. And the Langstars, an initiative uh, headed by our colleague, Carl Ravitch, they've sold about 2,400 of those. That's about $125,000. Oh my God. So that, uh, that's what's done in, in your eyes. But, you know, tell me about your experience at City Field on Friday. And what was it like throwing out? Because my favorite video over the weekend is when Matt threw out the first pitch. Uh, you just burst in, <laughs> burst out <laughs> laughing as he uh, came off the field with Eduardo Escobar. Oh my gosh! Now I'm recovering from those numbers. That is overwhelming. Thank you so much to everybody who has been part of any of those numbers, any of those struggles, and everyone who has heard my voice, seen my face over these last. A uh, few days, I was holding a uh, stat tutorial for some of our new hires at MLB.com yesterday. I logged on. I said, hi, you're probably tired of me, but I'm here to teach you about stats. So thank you to everybody. City Field was incredible. There was so much stress during the rain delay. So for anyone who doesn't know, was a beautiful day in Flushing, Queens. I met the Mets vet dog, Shay, on his final day before he went off to college, his final training. It was bright sunshine. We're sweating on the field. We go up. We go to the suite. We go to get ready. I do a few interviews. The sky becomes 
dark gray, close to pitch black. And everyone in baseball, you never say rain delay. You kind of let it happen, but you don't want to jinx it. It happens. We're sitting there and all I'm thinking is that my boyfriend, Matt, flew back from Denver and I want him to throw this pitch. I don't really care if the game happens. I'm sitting here monitoring other games. Otani is pitching. So much is going on. But I really, really want this first pitch to happen. Luckily, the sky is clear. And around 8.30, we go back downstairs. And he did an amazing job. I mean, for anyone, for context, he hadn't thrown a baseball uh, until that day since high school. And then we're standing around in the suite, and uh, Donovan Mitchell Sr., who is in charge of player relations from the Mets, says you should practice. So Matt goes down to the field with Donovan, which is cool for him because Matt works in the NBA, and obviously Donovan Mitchell's son, Donovan, is on the Cavs, so that was cool for him. That was my favorite part for him was that he got to chat with Donovan, and they practice. He's looking good, and then, you know, just a little high and outside, maybe. <laughs> but it was perfect, and if anyone saw the incredible piece that you did, on me and on my family and those close to me, you know that that's kind of the relationship Matt and I have is so much is about laughing and staying happy and positive in these moments. So it was just perfect <laughs> that it made me laugh. And I didn't realize how many cameras were on me. That was just my immediate reaction. And when I saw the clip later and how it was cut, I mean, it was absolutely perfect. So uh, it was overwhelming, incredible. And I'm just so grateful to everyone involved for pulling that off, making everything happen. The weather gods, especially, <laughs> that we got that in. I mean, the Red Sox were rained out. And, you know, obviously, East Coast weather tends to be similar. So I'm watching their delay, our delay, getting very stressed. So I'm just so glad it all worked out. What did Eduardo Escobar, you're, if you could describe a little bit, I know it, it probably was brief <laughs> and he didn't have a lot to say, but I, I, he's one of my favorite guys, such a positive guy. Uh, tell me about uh, his interaction with you guys during that time. Well, yeah, as you said, he's such a positive guy. It was so funny when he takes off his hat and he's like, can I put it on you? And I was like, sure, why not? And it ends up being this very funny moment where I basically look like a child next to this MLB player with this giant hat on my head. But he was great and a good sport about kind of coming over so we could all take the photo together. And... Huge shout out to his range because the number one thing I did not want with the pitch was for it to bounce. I didn't care where it ended up, but I feel like when it bounces, it's just awkward, you know? So if you go back and watch that video, he leaps up to his right to make that catch. That was the save of the night in my eyes. 
Absolutely. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 153. So I talked about the Rangers run differential maybe two weeks ago, and we have to talk about it again. So even with a one-run walk-off win yesterday, they're at a plus 153 run differential through 59 games. That is the sixth highest for any team since 1900. The only teams ahead of them, the 1912 Giants, 1902 Pirates, 1929 A's, 39 Yankees, and 27 Yankees. Whenever you're on a list with the 27 Yankees, I think any baseball fan knows you're in a really, really good spot. And so through their 58th game, they had scored 10 runs 16 times. That was tied with the 36 Yankees for the most times scoring at least 10 runs in the team's first 58 games of the season since 1900. And I just love seeing both smile in that dugout. So it's awesome. Yeah, had that walk-off hit yesterday and, you know, immediately got this, uh, you know, fist pump. Exactly. Number two. Number two is 399. So it's funny. I thought we were off 400 watch. I thought a couple weeks ago, Luis Arise and the Marlins had finally fallen below 400 for about the first time all year. And I thought, okay, that's it. I actually have a story on MLB.com about the latest into a season that a qualified hitter has hit 400 each season. And I was going back and forth with Andrew Simon, one of my bosses in MLB.com, like two weeks ago. And I was like, I'll update that soon. And now he's back to 399. He is so, so close to that 400. So if we look at the highest batting average in the team's first 61 games in the expansion era, her qualified her. We have Chipper Jones at 418 in 2008, Larry Walker in 1997 at 416, Paul O'Neill at 411 in 1994, and Rog Carew also at 411 in 1983, Tony Gwynn, of course, 1997 at 405, and then 1996, Roberto Almer at 399. Just ahead of her eyes if you look at the next decimal. But he is in a really, really good spot. And if you go back and you do it since 1941, so since the last time someone hit 400 for a full season, obviously, Ted Williams, there's only a few more that pop onto the list. I believe it's two instances of Ted Williams and one of Sam Usual. So will he do this? I don't know. But I'm getting the sense that he has a really, really good shot. I mean, this is a player who really seriously feels like he can get there. You think of some guys who have been kind of close recently. The one that actually inspired the article I mentioned before was Cody Bollinger in 2019. He was pretty close through the end of May, but Luis Rice getting back there is really impressive. And I'm excited to be on 400 Watch for as long as we are this year. Number one. Number one is 420. 
So while the Kenya Junior's latest home run over the weekend went 464 feet. So now his last 10 home runs have all been at least 420 feet. That is the most consecutive homers, all at at least 420 feet, tracked by Sackhouse that goes back to 2015. He broke a tie at nine with Jorge Soler in 2021, and of course, Giancarlo Stanton in 2016. Just for context, I know everybody wants every home run to be 500 feet. The MLB average home run is 400 feet. 420 is when you're getting into, oh boy, that's a long home run. 440 is where you really start to be uh, taken aback in a good way. So having that many consecutive home runs be above the average is really, really impressive. And he now has 10 460 foot home runs in his career. That is the most in MLB since the start of 2018. And I will drive this home every time he homers. People think of Stan. People think of Judge. People think of guys like Jorge Soler. People do not think of guys built like Ronald Acuna Jr. When they think of Mammon's home runs, but he does it up there with the best of them. Yeah, he looks like an NFL running back. You know, he's just got that. He's not that tall, but boy, he, he has so much power in that body. Couple follow-ups, thoughts on the on four hundred. You know, two of the names you mentioned there, uh, Tony Gwynn, uh, and I've told you this that I'm absolutely will go to my grave convinced that Tony Gwynn would have hit four hundred in 1994. He finished that season at the strike season when the strike hit. He was batting three ninety four in that last road trip. Sarah, he went thirteen for twenty five. He would, his knee, which had been a problem for him the previous four years, he felt good. And he had made up his mind that uh, down the stretch, he was going to use his favorite bat, which he called seven grains of pain. He only used it against breaking ball pitchers because he didn't want to break it. He said, but I'm going to break it out against everybody down the stretch. Um, I, I will always believe he would have hit 400 that year. In Roberto Alomar in 1996, the first half of that season, best player I've ever seen. And I covered him with the Orioles, and just every day he was doing something to help them win. So that that was fun. This is fun, too. We got this uh, Bleacher tweet. Uh, Bob Biscalia, I hope you pr- I pronounce your name right, Bob. Uh, he writes in, Sarah, if I recall, Sarah's mother is a Giants fan. It must have been interesting when Sarah told her mom she was dating someone named Matt Williams. Can you tell that story? Absolutely. So actually, the best story with that, um, I'm sure that came up, but the best one is that uh, based on the timeline when we started dating all of that, one of my absolute best friends in the world is uh, named JT, JT Wads from uh, college, met him in college. And when I told him about Matt, he referred to him as former Nationals manager. Because at the time, that was still very relevant. Uh, he had only recently not been the manager of the Nationals. And I would say it's only over the last year or two that he does not text me about him and say, how is the former Nationals manager? So, I mean, if I were to search that in my phone, that is the way it goes. And it's not lost on me that every now and then when I'm, you know, talking with someone in baseball, I mentioned that, whatever, I always have to kind of clarify and be like, 
my boyfriend, not the other one, you know? What are the odds? I know it's a very common name, but what are the odds that we get a baseball name that so many people are familiar with? And by the way, whenever we are watching a game, especially a Giants game, and Matt Williams is on the list, and he's like, hey, there you are. So it's very <laughs> funny, and uh, we certainly... We certainly have a lot of fun with this. All right, Sarah. Well, thanks for doing this. Great to see you as always. Awesome. Thank you so much, Professor. On Sunday, Carl Ravage caught up with Aaron Boone and Dave Roberts. This was a fun interview in the Siege of Dodger Stadium. Give a listen. All right, you guys have known each other for a long time. Tell me what you remember about Boone and then Aaron in college. Okay, college. I'll start. Aaron Boone, uh, first off, I went to UCLA, he went to SC, I couldn't stand SC, obviously, right? So, uh, Booney was a stud, I remember him with Jock Jones, Jenkins, Alvarez, so they had this like great recruiting class, and Aaron was Deadpool, so he was all about slug and OPS before there was OPS. And I so, couldn't slug. And he couldn't <laughs> slug. I always uh, had so much respect for Aaron. So, I got to hear about Dave Roberts through a mutual friend. So it's like, you got to meet Dave Roberts. This guy's the best. And what I remember about Doc is he's such a good leadoff hitter. And like, before I even knew what control the zone was, like he really controlled the zone. He had no pop. What I didn't understand is what, what round you go in? 28th round, signed for a whopping thousand. So miles. if I was a scout, I, I was like, no, 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 this guy's he's a big leaguer. Like I knew it right away. Right, right. So I was like, how does he go into the 20 something round with as well as he runs, gets on base, but, but he was he was a great player, a lot of fun to play against. And these guys always beat us. And that's something I still have I'm a little bitter about. <laughs> Fight on. They did. Yeah. Um, you mentioned his running. Play TV analyst. Let's start with what happened in 03. You see the video, Dave. What do you see him doing in 03? Here comes Aaron Boone. Amazing pedigree. Wakefield hangs a knuckleball. Aaron Boone's going deep. Stay fair baseball. Home run. Yankees win. <laughs> and that is running for your life right there. Dave Roberts stealing that game, stealing that base. I mean, the desperation to get to second base is what I see. And then look at look at look how locked in he's like this is just the start the of the neat story run. about that that when you're on first base and Rivera's thrown over, you go back to an earlier game against them where you were yeah, in a September. position to steal and Maury Will's advice to you as well. Yeah. He's like, hey DR. The late, great Maury goes, hey, DR, one day you're going to have to steal a base and everyone in the ballpark knows you're going to steal and you can't be afraid to take that base. So, like I told people, he was that good angel on one side. The other was like that Bill Buckner going, don't be that guy. You know, you don't want to be that guy. So, no, Maury Wills won out. But a life-changing, life-altering moment, right? In a moment, that's it. Yeah, uh, I would say so. I mean, and I kind of had that feeling. I was on the elevator with my wife um, coming down to, to go out to celebrate after game seven. And it was quiet for a second. I said, I think some things might have just changed a little bit. And actually, as I was walking out to go to the after party after game seven, the boss was walking in and he, he just walked by me and said, I'm happy for you, son. And and we went out and you know what the the cool thing about it is 
and, and honestly, for a while, I kind of tried to distance myself from it. But over the years, you see the amount almost on a daily basis when I'm in public, like somebody that has a very intimate story about it. Whatever side of the ledger you were on, like I threw my TV out the window, I hit my head leaping for joy, whatever it may be, I've heard so many cool stories and, and to have a place in, in that rivalry uh, is pretty neat. Yesterday, Judge made an unbelievable catch. And there were a lot of elements to it that you look back on and you're like, yeah, he, the wall, his foot, how far he ran. And then subsequently, there was the runner on second, and you were on the field, both were on the field, and you gave this smile to somebody in the direction of the Yankee dugout. Was it was it at Aaron, and what was the smile about? No, it, it was at Aaron. First off, uh, Judge, he made this ridiculous play. He's bigger than the game of baseball. And so, I, I yeah, I, I looked at Booney because uh, <laughs> he's trying to game the system, get any competitive advantage, and then, you know, as the rule states, but I didn't agree with that, where, uh, Munchie should have stayed at first base, and they didn't highlight the fact that I saw Aaron run as fast as I've seen him run <laughs> since his days at SC, so it's like, Judgey goes down, and then Booney's doing like a 6-4 to right field. Yeah, I'm not even waiting for timeout on the field. I'm just like on a beeline out there, and he, Judge is pushing me off, and then I finally got out there, hey, I'm just here to say a nice play. You've been ejected 10 times yeah. in your career. You're, you're moving into Bobby Cox territory. You've got 30 ejections. You want to talk to him at all about the way to handle himself, or are you good with what he's doing? No, I'm good with it. I, I was waiting, so he's about due. It's been like a week no. since he's been tossed, so <laughs> I think today, I, I think uh, Marvin Hudson, they, they might have words today, so I'm expecting Aaron to, to be around for about five or six innings. More to get to no, no, I'm, not, I'm not getting there. No, I'm in the penalty box right now, so I am just, I am, I am as being as passive as I can right now. My best behavior. All right, Doc. When he was in our booth yep. Sunday nights, he would do this thing called the Boondoggle. Yes. He would do amazing in person. He could impersonate dogs. anybody. So I want him to look at your swing. And then oh, see if we God, can get a little no. impersonation from Booney on you. There aren't too many that look like my swing. Give us a little stand up. Show us this one. There's a little Tony Gwynn right there, right? There loads. Yes. Oh, that, why mean, that, that swing? That swing hasn't changed since Let's UCLA, see, by the way. I can't see it. Let me see it. Here we go. You know, a little <laughs> Luis Castillo in there. He's just uh, let it get deep and shoot it the what other way. What about the Kurt Schilling and, homer? And the Pedro fun. triple. <laughs> Whatever, come on. Amen. Come on, ESPN, you guys are killing me. We'll find <laughs> Boys, thank you very much for yeah. doing this. Thanks, thank Ravi. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, it is time for Bleacher Tweets. We had a lot of good ones this week, so continue that, Bleacher Tweeters. Our first one comes from Zach Beeson. If the playoffs started today, unlike the Mets, Phillies, Angels, and Cardinals, the Marlins would be in. What are they doing right? Well, they pitch well for sure. Uh, Luisa Rice has been really good. Some of the other acquisitions they made, Jorge Soler has been terrific of late. You know, he's doing his Ronald Acuna Jr. impression. Uh, and, and I will say this. You know, we've talked about uh, on the podcast how Craig Council of the Brewers, I think, is a difference-making manager. I think Kevin Cash is that guy uh, along the same lines. I think Terry Francona is like that. I think Alex Cora is like that. I think Skip Schumacher is a difference-making manager. When I've heard stories about his level of detail, I think he's someone who's going to be in that position for a long time, whether it's with the Marlins or other teams. Next up is M at Emily33G. 
If I heard Carl Ravitch correctly, he called the Yankees-Dodgers the biggest baseball rivalry during the Baseball Tonight pregame. Not denying the former Brooklyn Bronx and ALNL WS rivalry, but what about the Yankees-Red Sox then? Yeah, and I think that Carl was speaking more in terms of the stature of the two franchises, right? Yankees and Dodgers, to me, are probably one and two in terms of the level that they hold. Uh, Cardinals are in the conversation. Uh, you know, Red Sox are in the conversation. I think the uh, you know the San Francisco Giants are in that conversation. But in terms of stature, the Yankees, with all their success, the Dodgers with that amazing history, the team that started the movement out west, Jackie Robinson. Uh, those to me are the two preeminent franchises in the sport. And next up, we have Steve Bork. Royce Lewis must forever be known as the Scorpion King after his collision earlier. Yeah. Did you see that Sunday, Gary? That was insane. I thought like he broke his neck. It was terrifying. It was. That's the perfect word. I can't say better than you did. Next up, we have along similar lines, P.K. Steinberg. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that frightening Royce Lewis play at first base is completely avoided if MLB adopts the softball style first base bag. Yeah, they're not doing going to that. So it's like wishing for world peace. <laughs> up next, we have here for FRL. Everyone talks about how without judge, the Yankees lineup isn't that good. I'm confused. How is this narrative so universally accepted and agreed upon while FO doesn't do much to change that? Equal praise for Judge as jab to FO. Thoughts? I think it's more praise on Judge because he's so important. You know, I've told the story about how, you know, we had those hours during the winter meetings when the thought was after that uh, erroneous tweet that Judge was headed toward a deal with the Giants. I know, talk to people in the Yankees organization where they were looking at life without Aaron Judge. And they were like, oh, my God. Like, he brought, he brings so much to the table in terms of being, you know, a great uh, hitter, is being a great defender, is being a clubhouse leader. And so when you take him out of the lineup, it just looks like a different team. And that's not to say that, like, Anthony Rizzo is a really good player. And Giancarlo Stanton is obviously a high-impact guy when he's going right. And I think Anthony Volpe, despite his low batting average, someone you're going to be excited about. LeMay, he's a really good hitter. But Aaron Judge is the man. Like, there's no doubt about that. I so I think it it is more of a compliment to Judge than I an indictment on the front office. What about you, Sarah? I mean, yeah, we've seen the Yankees without Judge this season, and it's a completely different team. He is the literal glue of the Yankees, and so without him, it's just not the same. Up next is Corey Rukert. Is there any logical reason why LAD La Cruz still hasn't been called up? It's past the deadline. The Reds have already gained a year. He's mashing the number one prospect in baseball. What's the holdup? So we're going to, I'll ask Nick Crawl that when he joins the show uh, on Wednesday. Um, that's going to be my first question to him, or maybe my second question to him. My read on it from the outside looking in, he is a free swinger and he strikes out a lot. Those type of guys, those type of hitters, can be exploited really quickly in the big leagues. You know? And so you can have, you know, incredible exit velocity. You can, you know, hit the ball a million miles, but swing and miss, that to me is, is somewhat of a concern. I'm not saying he's not going to be a great player at the big leagues, but I understand that from a development standpoint, why they might want to leave him in the minor leagues for a time to see if he begins to make more contact. 
Our last one is here for real again. What the heck is going on with Korea? When's the last time you've seen a large contract look this bad this quick? Steven Strasburg, right? I mean, he goes down in history as I think that deal. And, and look, it's got nothing to do with Steven's effort. Um, he signed a seven-year, $245 million deal in the offseason after the Nationals won the World Series. And he's pitched 31 and a third inning, Sarah. And we got word from the Nationals the other day that he's got severe nerve damage. He may not pitch again in the big leagues. 31 and a third innings for a seven-year, $245 million contract. That's the worst one ever. All right. And that's it for Bleacher Tweets. Be sure to submit your questions using hashtag Bleacher Tweets, and we will be back tomorrow. All right. That's it for today. Uh, my thanks to Tim, to Sarah, to Sarah, Juliana. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.